Alrighty, so we're going to get started with our series for March. Be fruitful, number one. And we're going to be talking the whole month of March about the family, what God's design is for the family. We're going to look at men, women, sons and daughters. But primarily, how can we have a godly family if we don't know God? So today we're going to look at the good father. And we're going to do so by looking at this parable that Jesus taught. A lot of us know this story as the parable of the prodigal son. And I think that's uh, incorrectly described. I don't think this story was so much based on the son as much as it was based on the father. And I want us to take a look at him today, at this father represented in this story. So the key idea for today is this, that before we can be fruitful men, fruitful women, and children and sons and daughters, we need to know God the Father. Jesus said this in John 15, 5. He said, I am the vine, you are the branches. The one who remains in me and I in him produces much fruit. Because, he says this, you can do nothing without me. So a few things about the family. I want you to take note of this, that God made the family. God made the family seen and unseen. God is the father of this human family, the Christian family. God is also a father of the spiritual family, which is angels in heaven. He's the one who created it. Number two, Satan wants to destroy the family. Satan did not attack Adam and Eve until they were married, until God had put a calling on their life. He shows up to deceive, to destroy. Jesus says he comes only to kill and destroy. Satan truly wants to destroy your family. The reason we get confused and we start blaming one another is because we see only God and one another, but we don't see this enemy that we truly do have. And number three, families, if they're under God's authority, are very useful for the kingdom of God, which is why so many, uh, especially single people, they want to get married. They want to have a family. They want to do things right. And I commend you for doing that. If you're seeking to be a godly man who marries a godly woman to do godly things, praise God. You're on the right path because God will use your family to be a ministry family. If you don't see yourself as one yet, start today. You are a ministry family. So before we get into the text, why don't we pray and we'll get right to work. Father, we thank you for the word. We thank you for your Bible. We thank you for speaking to us. Now today, Father, as we celebrated uh, seeing all the sons and daughters present, as we celebrated the little girls, the little babies, uh, specifically Galilea, we thank you, God, because we know that you're still blessing these people. When you said, be fruitful and multiply, you meant it. Lord, now we pray that as we get into the text, we might put aside any notion we have of what a father is supposed to be like, and we might look at you, Lord, our perfect father, and we might emulate and learn from you. We thank you, Lord. I thank you for our guests, for our friends that are here for the first time. I pray that today they would understand the word. We ask you all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So why don't we just read Luke 15, 11 through 32. It's a bit lengthy, but it's well worth every single word that we're going to read. And it's going to be up here for you. Um, we're also reading out of the CSB, just so you know. This is what it says. Jesus also said, A man had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the estate I have coming to me. So he distributed the assets to them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all that he had and he traveled to a distant country where he squandered, he wasted his estate on foolish living. After he had spent everything, a severe famine struck the country and he had nothing. There was a lot of hunger in that country. 15. Then he went to work for one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed the pigs. He longed to eat his fill from the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one would give him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired workers have more than enough food, and here I am dying of hunger? 
I'll get up, I'll go to my father, and I'll say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. That reminds you of Psalm 51. He said, Father, God, against you have I sinned. 19. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired workers. So he got up, went to his father, but while the son was still a long way off, and I want you to picture this. His father saw him, and he was filled with compassion. He ran, threw his arms around his neck, and kissed him. The son said, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father told his servant, Quickly, bring out the best robe, put it on him. Bring out a ring, put it on his finger, and sandals for his feet. Then bring the fattened calf and slaughter it, and let's celebrate with a feast. Carnesaso, we know those, right? 24. Because his son of, this son of mine was dead, and he's alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. That's the first son. Let's look at the second one. Now his older son, who was in the field, as he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he summoned one of the servants, questioning him what these things meant. Your brother is here, he told him, and your father has slaughtered the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. Then he became angry, and he didn't want to go in. So his father came out and pleaded with him. But he replied to his father, Look, I have been slaving many years for you. I have never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me a goat so that I could celebrate with my friends. Look at the way he expresses himself in verse 30. But when this son of yours, who has devoured your assets with prostitutes, it says, you slaughtered the fattened calf for him. Son, and look at the words of the good father. You are always with me, and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice, because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost, but now he is found. In Christ, that's who you are. Let's look at this story. I mean, think about it. The reason we don't get a lot of these parables and we humanize it or we contextualize to the point where it doesn't have any more meaning is because we don't understand the context. This was an ancient Jewish world, ancient Jewish customs. So let's look at the story. He says, there was one man with two sons. The two sons were rebellious and religious. Let's call them that. This was the rebellious son. This was the religious son. And I'll ask you this. Which one are you? You know, there's two ways to sin against God. It's rebellion and religion. Did you know that Jesus attacked not so much the sinners. He attacked the religious people. So there were two sons, the rebellious and the religious. And the rebellious son comes to the father and he says, Father, give me what's mine. Give me my inheritance. In other words, this is what he was saying in the context. I wish you were dead. Parents, have you ever heard that from your kids? It's devastating. I wish you were not here. I wish I was on my own already. I wish you didn't exist so I didn't have to submit to you. That's so painful to hear. And this good father, he listens to the words of this son. He says, I want you to just, I can't, I'm not going to wait around for you to die. Why don't you just give me my inheritance? We'll be finished in 20 minutes. We'll be done. Don't worry about it. He says, give me what's mine. I'm not going to wait for you to die. So this, the father, he does. Heartbroken and everything. Now, this, what this son did was super shameful and selfish. And it says he went out to live in another country in a sinful nation with sinful people. Let me tell you this. If you were to get very rich all of a sudden, you'd have a lot of friends, so-called friends. Some of us, we've gotten our first job. We have money. Now they're inviting us out to eat. Now they're inviting us out to go and hang out because they know you're going to pay. 
the moment money dries up, your friends are gone. Take that from a guy who used to work in bail bonds. I took many people out of jail, and it was not the friends, it was not the buddies, it was not the girlfriend, it was the mom and the dad taking people out of jail. That was the son. He went out into another country to spend his money in reckless living. Eventually, reckless living leads to becoming broke. If you're not someone who's wise with money, you will become broke. doesn't matter how much you make. Now, this man says he spent his money on easy living. He went drinking, partying, buying fancy cars, carros del año, fancy clothes. You know, I'll tell you this. No one cares what's written on your underwear, whose name is on there, okay? Some of us are so obsessed with the clothes that we wear. In hell, that doesn't matter. This man went and spent all of his money. And eventually, there came a famine. Because let me tell you something. The economy is not constant. I have a friend who put in about $6,000 into the stock market. This past couple of days, he lost about 1,300 of them overnight. And that was his trust. Freaked out, didn't know what to do. This happened in this country. This guy was spending, there was a famine in the country. Nothing to eat, nothing to spend. So he went and hired himself out. To who? To pig farmers. Again, let's talk about the culture. Pigs were animals that were dirty in God's sight. He told Jewish people, don't eat pigs, don't even touch them, don't mess with them, leave them alone. They're dirty. And this man hires himself out as a slave to feed pigs. And it says he was so hungry, and I'll tell you again, people don't care. He was so hungry that no one would feed him, he wanted to eat what the pigs were eating. And that's a spiritual diagnosis for many of us. We are so lost and depraved that we don't see that what we're doing is eating pig food, thinking we're feeding ourselves. I tell a lot of guys who are deep into you know, dirty movies and dirty things, you're thirsty, bro. Drink clean water. You're drinking out of the toilet. The deepest desire is you want to get married, you want to have a wife and kids. That's your deepest desire. But you're fulfilling it with toilet water. And that's what this man was doing. He was craving the food that was given to the pigs. Now, it says that he came to his senses. And that is the spiritual equivalent of repentance. You come to your senses. You understand that where you are is not where God wants you to be. I'll tell you this. If I were to ask you, what is your testimony? And you were to tell me, well, I had a hard life and then Jesus made it better. That's not a testimony. A testimony is this. I was lost. I didn't know I was lost. And then I truly realized how lost I really was. How sinful I really was. How perfect God was. And how short I fell from that mark. But then He saved me and I realized that I needed Him. That's a testimony. That's what happened to this man. He came to his senses. He said, back home, I had a rich father. To this day, everybody's hungry. He still has enough to feed his workers. What did I do? He comes up with a plan. He says, I'll go to my father. I'll work for him as a slave because at least his slaves have somewhere to live. Let me tell you this. You might not consider yourself as a Christian, a slave of Jesus Christ, but that's exactly what we are. We don't like that phrase, especially in America, because of slavery in America. But if we're Christians, the Bible says we're slaves of Christ, meaning we belong to Him. We do what the Master says, but our Master is different. He feeds us, He clothes us, He protects us, and He not only calls us slaves, He calls us friends. That's the God that we serve. So we look at this story. He gets up, and he's already preparing in his mind, how am I going to try to get back into my father's house? And as he's coming far off, probably bruised, beaten, half naked, no clothes, nothing. 
the father sees him from far away. What does that mean? That means that the father was waiting for him the whole time. Some of you think that because you've been far away from God, God's done with you. God is not done with you. He's still waiting for you. You say, well, who am I that God would wait on me? It's not about you, my friend. It's about Him. He's a good father. It says He was waiting. And picture this. Think about the reputation of this good father. The whole city knew that his son went and spent his money on dirty living. His, the whole city probably knew that this guy didn't respect him anymore. How are you going to let your son do that to you? He didn't care. He sat there. He waited for his son every day. Imagine this. Is that my son? Could that be him? Could he finally be back? I don't know where he is. I don't know what he's doing. I have friends in that other city who own businesses. They're telling me that he doesn't look so good. And it says that as the son came walking to the house, the father comes running out to him. Again, understand this culturally. Men in our culture don't run, right? Men don't run unless they're chasing a football or a soccer ball or something, right? That's the only time where it's probably okay to run as a man. Otherwise, it's like, why is that guy running? And if you see a man running, somebody's trying to kill him probably, right? The father comes, starts running, an old man. Culturally, that was unacceptable. Elders don't need to run anywhere. We go serve them. Also, imagine how this father was dressed with a tunic. What does that mean? He had to lift up his tunic, expose his legs, tie them up so that he could run towards his son. Ultimate humiliation on himself just so he could go and love his son. Again, why am I talking about this? I need you to understand before you can have a godly family, understand God the Father, how He has loved you. So the father runs to the son, throws his arms, doesn't even let him get a word out. He starts to give his little spiel, his little apology, cuts him off. He says, doesn't matter. Did the father have a right to beat this son? Yes or no? Yes. A lot of parents are like, man, I wish we lived in Old Testament times. It'd be so much easier, right? Where it says if a parent, if a son disobeyed a parent, you just stone him, be done with it. <laughs> but we don't live in that time anymore, parents. We live in the time of grace. It's like, oh man, can we go back? Take me back, right? He had the right to do that. He didn't. He says to the servants, give me a robe. What does that mean? Let me cover his nakedness. Spiritually, this means for you, God covers your shame. He says, give me a ring to put on his finger. Meaning, let's give him the place of the family again. The ring usually had a marker on it where you would press that into melted wax and that was the seal of the family. He says, let's make him a family member again. God does that for you and me. He gives us the family name, Christian. And number three, he says, let's put some sandals on this boy's feet. Meaning, he's not a slave, he's a son. Let's make him a son. And then he does the unthinkable. He's already done the unthinkable. He, he ran to his son, he clothed him, he forgave him, and then he says, let's also throw a party for him. The Bible says this, that there is joy in heaven when a sinner repents. The day that you came to know Jesus, there was joy in heaven. It says he slaughtered the fattened calf. You wouldn't do that for anybody except an honored guest. They did it. They threw a huge party. They celebrated and they danced. So for us, you know, uh, old school traditional parents were like, ah, oh, no dancing. It says that they danced in a holy way, leaving room for the Holy Spirit. Amen, parents? Amen. They celebrated. That's the first son. The second son was a religious son. He heard the party. He knew what was going on. He was working out in the fields. He comes to the, the entrance and he says, what's going on here? They tell him, hey, your brother's back. He says, I have no brother. We need to be careful not to go from one extreme to the other. Some people are extremely sinful. Then they come to Christ and they, they become extremely religious. 
That's dangerous. An example, the guy who was smoking weed yesterday gets saved, and now he says that everyone who smokes weed is going to hell. It's like, wait a, wait a minute, that's where God took you out of. Have mercy. I remember there was a story of a guy who, he got saved, that's what he was doing, he was smoking weed, but then he got saved, and now he said, okay, I need to take care of my body for Jesus, so I need to move away from weed. He moved on to cigarettes. Maybe not the best step up, but hey, it's progress, right? So the guy would smoke a cigarette because he still had cravings in his body. He would smoke a cigarette outside the church building. And everybody that walked in looked at him and criticized him. Look at this guy smoking cigarettes. What they didn't know was that he was making progress. We can't be the people that judge just because of what we see. If God has not judged us yet, he's had mercy, let's not be the judges. Let's have grace on people. Does that mean, hey, okay, kids, I told you all you can smoke. That's not what I said. Honor your parents. But let's not be religious. He says, that's not my brother. It says that the father had to go outside and encourage him. Hey, son, come inside. Celebrate with me. Your brother's back. And this religious son sinned against his own father. How? Because the father had to literally beg him, please come inside, my son. You can sin against God by being rebellious or religious. And the father corrects us. This son, and he tells him, everything I've had has always been yours. But we celebrate that your brother is back. And that's the end of the story. We see this good father who had nothing but compassion for both of his sons. Now, what can we learn about this? Speaking of the family, let's go to the next note, sir. Families love because the father loves. Love is words and deeds. Amen, ladies who are dating guys who don't do anything for you? Amen, right? Love is not just words, it's deeds. Love is not just deeds, it's also words. That's what we're learning, words of affirmation. Learn to speak it, right? Number two, love puts self aside for the good of others. You say you love someone, you want the best for them. That means it might make you uncomfortable for a bit, but do it for them. Number three, we learned that love covers a multitude of sins. The love that this father had for both of his sons covered both of their sins. Number four, love hopes for the best at all times. If you're someone who in your family, we're not talking dating, we're talking just family in general, brother, sister, mother, dad. If you're someone who in your family, you always just expect the worst out of everybody else, you're going to absolutely destroy them. You're not even giving them a chance to make things right. Or maybe I actually try to change. You just expect me to do the worst, fine, I'll do it. Let me warn you parents, this is a way you can make your kids really rebel once they get into high school and college. Be super religious at home right now. Watch what happens in a few years. I've seen tragic stories. Parents who just absolutely sheltered their kids in every way possible. And I'm not saying don't take care of them. Be careful. That's not what I'm saying. But just absolutely shelter them. Put them in a bubble. And the first chance of freedom they get, they'll run as far as they can. Is that your story? Is that what happened to you? You were so religious that now your kid rebels because you were so religious? Love hopes for the best at all times. Families, number two, pursue because the father pursues. You pursue spiritually. You care for the well-being of your husband, of your wife, of your brother, of your sister. I know a guy here who reads the Bible with his sister. That's, praise God for that. When's the last time you did that? You care for them spiritually. I didn't see you at church. What can we do? You don't like this church? Let's find a church for us. You pursue practically. 
This is something my sister used to do at midnight every single night. I was about to go to sleep. She would whisper literally in my ear, chips. <laughs> I was like, what? Like, I'd be sitting on the couch. Yeah, I'm, I'm sleepy. Chips. I was like, what? She's like, Manny, I want some chips. Come to the store with me. I wanted to go to sleep. I almost put those chips. Because you pursue practically. You know she likes it. You serve her. We complicate relationships a little too much. We really do. Pursue practically. And also pursue relationally. When's the last time you sat down with your sister, brother, cousin, mom, dad? And you literally just asked them, how are you feeling today? What's on your mind? If I ask you how you're doing, what are you going to tell me? Fine. But if you really ask, how can I pray for you today? And what are you feeling? What are you going through? People will open up. A lot of the reasons we feel like we can't communicate is because we don't ask the right questions. Pursue relationally. And lastly on this, families forgive because the Father forgives. Next week we'll be very specific. We'll talk to the men, then the ladies, then the kids. I shouldn't have told you because now the men are not going to come, right? We'll mix it up. Forgiveness begins in the family because the Father forgives. It begins with us, not with them. It's not that they have to ask you for forgiveness. You are supposed to give it. The Father has taught us how to do that. Jesus said, forgive your brother 70 times 7. That means make it a lifestyle of forgiveness. Forgiveness is, real, is releasing it to a higher court. Maybe they do have something against you. Maybe you have a right to be upset. I know a woman who was abused sexually as a child. She has every right to be upset against her abuser. Right? And yet when I speak to her, she tells me, I'm not mad. I forgave him a long time ago. How do you do that? She chose to forgive. To this day, he has not asked for forgiveness. To this day, he denies anything happened, even though all the proof was there. But she chose to forgive him, meaning she released it to God's court. I'm not going to fix it. I'll let him fix it. And number three, forgiveness may, you might want to underline the word may, it may lead to reconciliation. If you've really messed up, you might not have the relationship you used to before. And that's fine. I've heard some loser guys tell their girlfriend, well, you forgave me. Let me move back in. Well, you forgave me. I cheated on you three times, but you said you forgive, so I get to be with you again. That's not what forgiveness is. Forgiveness is not reconciliation. Reconciliation means you have where it used to be. You might not have that. And you've got to be willing to be okay with that. But forgiveness is, I let it go. And if we can work towards reconciliation, we'll do it. But there are some people that are just not able to do that. Paul teaches us, in so much as it corresponds to you, as you're able to, you be at peace with everybody. They might not be at peace with you, and that's fine. Now, some questions to ask as we wrap up. What type of person am I? Rebellious or religious? This is what religious looks like. Rules, always keeping them. You enforce your own rules on other people, even though it's not in the Bible. That's called legalism. So what would those look like? Well, it's because no tattoos. Look at my friend Danny there. This guy looks nice, right? I wish I could afford all those tattoos. <laughs> I can't. That's a, lot of, that's a lot of tattoos. So does that mean we condemn people with tattoos? No. God loves them. We should, we should love them. But that's what a religious person looks like. They put their rules on other people. Or rebellious. Meaning, I'm going to break every rule possible. You make a rule, I'll break it. You make a rule that's so vague that maybe I can't break it. I'll find a way to, to break it. 
The reason the Bible uses this word in the Greek for sexual immorality, it just says porneia, is because he knew if he made a list of 600 things not to do, there would be that freak that would do that one weird thing. Right? And that's the rebellious people. You just find a way to break every rule possible. Which one are you? Which one are you more prone to? I'll tell you which one I'm more prone to. Religious. I'm more prone to being religious. That's one of the things I struggle with every day. And I pray God, help me to break my own pride. And what does He do? He brings people around me that don't make it easy to be religious. Right? <laughs> Had a message from Danny at midnight. Hey, what's up, bro? What are you doing? Let's go watch wrestling. Right? <laughs> I, like, I like those messages. Number two. What needs to be confessed in your family? What is the family secret? That is not even a secret anymore. Everybody knows what it is. Just no one talks about it. What needs to be confessed from you, mom? From you, dad? What needs to be apologized for? Because when you made that decision, it wasn't just you hurting yourself. It was you hurting them. Did you ever think about that? Son, daughter, what do you need to confess to your parents? I had a friend who, nobody knew this. She was an illegal immigrant. She was 15. And when she was 15, she was crossing over to Matamoros like every other day, like partying with her friends until they found out because something happened. That was hiding it. That wasn't confessing it. What do you need to confess today on the car ride home or when you get home? Number three, what needs to be forgiven? I'll talk to you first, son and daughter. What do you need to forgive your parents for? They didn't mean to hurt you. Maybe they did. But what do you need to let go of? Because all it's done is weighed you down and made you into this rebellious son. Parents, what do you need to ask for forgiveness for? This is one of the worst things that can happen is we just move on. We never, talk, we never bring it up again. What do you need to ask for forgiveness for? You know, a lot of things might change at home if all you would do is say, I'm sorry, I was wrong. Help me, forgive me. Next, who needs to be pursued in your family? Every family has that one kid that that's a favorite. Amen? Raise your hand if you're the favorite. <laughs> Raise your hand if you're not the favorite, but you know who the favorite is. <laughs> There's kids from the same family raising hands at the same time. I'm confused. There's some conflict. We need to forgive that conflict. <laughs> Who needs to be pursued? Let me tell you who's always usually forgotten, the middle kid. Right? Because the little one possesses the baby. The older one was the baby at one time. The middle one just... Move on. Amen? <laughs> There's a lot of hurt in the room today, right? <laughs> I'm glad we can let go of this. Pursue that person. I knew of a young girl at 12 years old. She reached, when I was a youth pastor at my home church, she said, Manny, I need to talk to you. I was like, okay, what's going on? She was a middle child, 12 years old. She had cuts all over her arms. I was like, why are you cutting yourself? What's going on? She's like, I'm so depressed. I want to kill myself. I want to commit suicide. Well, have you talked to your mom about this? She doesn't listen. Have you talked to your dad? I don't have a dad. Have you talked to your sisters? No, they just make fun of me. Who needs to be pursued in your family? Who do you need to make time for? Who do you need to decide, okay, this Saturday, all about them. Let's get them their favorite snacks, candies, take them out where they want to go. It's not comfortable. Cállate. It's about them today. Amen? Who needs to be pursued? 
Who, what have we been avoiding? Let me tell you something. Cowards avoid. Real men confront. Real women confront. When Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, the father comes and he says, Adam, where are you? And what is his answer? We were scared, so we were hiding from you. What have you been avoiding as a family together? What is that topic that we can't touch? Because you're going to make her cry. You're going to make him cry. And I'm not saying go home and be bullies. I'm saying do it with love, compassion. But what needs to be addressed? What has been avoided? What do we need to pray for? Or who do we need to pray for? So that they would wake up. This lost son, it says he came to his senses. And let me guarantee you one thing that the father was doing. He was praying. Many of you sons and daughters, the reason you haven't totally destroyed your life is because your parents were praying for you. And you say, well, my parents are not Christians. Okay. Other godly people are still praying for you. I had one older woman who, she's now with Jesus. She went to be with the Lord. Her name was Barbarita Granado. 80-something years old, almost 90. She's the one that taught me how to share the gospel on the streets. And she's the one that, when I would run into her in the, in the hallways, she would grab me like, Manny, I've been praying for you. I was like, thank you. That is so uplifting. I'm not alone in this. Who do we need to pray for so that God would wake them up? You know how you're not going to wake up someone? More rules. You know how you're not going to wake somebody up? More religion. You're going to wake someone up by praying that God would wake them up. Because you can't change anybody. God changes people. You can't even change yourself. And you think you can change someone else? Let God change them. That's part of releasing it to a higher court. And lastly, how can we welcome them back with open arms? There's some people that they're on their path. They're about to become Christians. They're, God's working on them. But families who don't let go of things won't let them into the kingdom. Jesus said this to the religious people. He said, you shut the door of heaven so that nobody comes in and you yourselves don't go in. Who do we need to welcome back with open arms? I know of moms who have disowned their daughters because they got pregnant when they were not supposed to. I know of fathers in our Mexican culture who have disowned sons who have gotten a girl pregnant. Ya no eres mijo. And that's disgusting. The father welcomed back the rebellious kid with open arms. I'll tell you this, parents. If your kids are rebelling, one day I pray that they'll come back. How are you going to receive them? What are you going to do to show them? You're part of my family. You were never forgotten. This man put a ring on the finger. He said, I'm trusting you with a family name again. I'll cover your nakedness. We got some debts we need to pay off. I'll help you pay them off. We'll take care of it. And you might, and you might ask me, well, Manny, how can I do all this stuff? This is impossible. Well, let me tell you something you might have overlooked. There were not two sons in this story. There's three sons. The third son is Jesus. Jesus made it possible so that we can forgive these things because He took the punishment on Himself. When we forgive things, we're not saying, yeah, we're making an excuse for it. Or it wasn't that bad. That's not what we're saying. We're saying it was horrible. It was so bad that the Son of God had to die. But because He already did, we can forgive. There was a third son in this story that we overlook all the time. The son telling this story. He took the punishment you and I deserved on his body. God became a human being. He did not become a good teacher. He did not become just a good example. God became a human being. God became the sacrifice. God was bleeding and dying on that cross for you and me. 
And that's why this breaks everything. Because the one who was perfect and could condemn, what did he tell the woman who was caught in adultery? Even I don't condemn you. Now go and sin no more. So because of this third son, we can do this. We can love. We can forgive. We can pursue. Let's go back to John 15.5. And this is what he says. Why don't we all get up on our feet? And we'll read it all together with a nice loud voice. John 15.5. This is what the third son said. Let's read it all together. I am the vine. You are the branches. The one who remains in me and I in him produces much fruit because you can do nothing without me. Let us always be one with Jesus.